Hey, podcast listeners, Carrie here. Before we jump into today's fantastic episode with Levi Lusco, just a really brief reminder that introductory pricing for my brand new Art of Leadership Academy expires next week. It's a place where you get all of my premium content, my courses, training for your team, live monthly coaching from me and other guests, and an incredible community of like-minded leaders that can really help you move the needle in your mission. It's for business leaders and church leaders. If you're interested, go to theartofleadershipacademy.com. You can get $100 off your first year's membership. We'll reduce the price for you as a podcast listener from $397 to $297. Just go to theartofleadershipacademy.com. You'll see all the details there. And now to today's episode. The Art of Leadership Network. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 484 of the podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, if you have struggled a little bit over the last few years in leadership, I think this is probably just what the doctor ordered. You know, this is one of those interviews, Levi Lusco is my guest, where I had a long list of questions and we got to three of them, I think, because we just talked about how he's doing. And he shared an awful lot about going through a period of panic attacks, uh, like adrenaline addiction recovery, and so much more. We've all been through the ringer. And if you just need a friend to come alongside you, that's what this episode will do. And it'll give you some great ideas as well. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by ProMedia Fire. For an awesome website and social media management, check out Creativo. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast can receive a lifetime founder's discount by going to creativo.org slash carry. And by Remodel Health, register for their free webinar on understanding the 401k of health benefits by going to remodelhealth.com slash webinar. So, uh, Levi is the founder and lead pastor of Fresh Life Church, located in Montana, Wyoming, Oregon, and Utah. That's right. Did I say Oregon right? Because when I was younger, I used to say Oregon, and then I actually went to Oregon, and they're like, no, it's like the musical instrument. So hopefully that's the case. He is the best-selling author of Through the Eyes of a Lion, Swipe Right, I Declare War, and most recently, The Last Supper on the Moon. We talk about that a little bit at the end. And, uh, well, he's just so transparent and so honest. And, uh, yeah, we've been through a lot together, right? So if you find this episode helpful, make sure you share it. For those of you who are sharing on social, we really appreciate it. And for those of you going one step further and leaving ratings and reviews, can I just say thank you? We are really, really grateful for that. So if you are a small or mid-sized organization looking for a new website, and that could be a church, could be a business, and great social media content at an affordable price, let me introduce you to Creativo. Creativo is a brand new all-in-one creative outreach platform designed to impact your audience and be easily managed with drag-and-drop technology. With Creativo, you look amazing online, you save time, you save money, and um, it works on iPhone, Android, and desktop with the same experience. It's great for churches, nonprofits, schools, and entrepreneurs to manage your social media in minutes each week. So for an awesome website and social media management experience in 2022, check out Creativo. For a limited time, because you listen to this podcast, you get a lifetime founder's discount. Head on over to Creativo. Let me spell that for you. C-R-E-A-T-I-V-O. 
creativo.org slash carry. That's C-A-R-E-Y. So creativo.org slash carry. And record numbers of American employees are changing jobs for better benefits, right? Every The power is not with the employers anymore. But group health insurance costs go up every year. So how can you find something better for employees without breaking your budget? Well, there's a bit of a revolution happening with American health care benefits. In the 1980s, pension plans were replaced with 401ks. The great news is that's happening with health benefits right now. It's been around for a decade and it's growing. And unlike old group plans, because this style of health benefits has become so popular, it's actually dropped in costs while giving even better coverage to your team, which is what you want and what they want. I know that since you're listening to this podcast, it probably means you like to learn. And if you want to figure this out, Remodel Health is offering a free educational webinar that will teach you everything you need to know to understand a new way to do healthcare and to save money and give your team better benefits. Register today by going to remodelhealth.com slash webinar and learn about this huge change that can help you care for your team even better. Go to remodelhealth.com slash webinar and you can sign up today for free. Well, with all that said, let us dive into a fascinating, personal, and I think deep conversation. Levi, thank you for being so transparent, so vulnerable, uh, with the one and only Levi Lusco. Levi, welcome back. Harry, it's good to be back anywhere. It means I didn't flub it too bad last time, right? No, you you did great. I love having you on because you tell it like it is. And I think, I think, well, there's your personality, but there's also your geography. It makes it such a fascinating story like your church and what you're doing and that you don't get all the advantages of a big city um, or the disadvantages of a big city. But I just I just love our conversations and I love you. And I learned one of the reasons why is we're both tea drinkers, which is rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Jenny Lusco, for converting me. And, you know, in the pandemic, Carrie, I, I learned uh, I have to limit my caffeine consumption. There were a number of things that were a part of the process, but... Um, I began, I don't know if I've told you this, I began having for the first time pretty severe panic attacks in 2020. Everybody was having mental health crisis. I get it. But for me, one aspect of it, there was a lot to it. One thing was not traveling, not getting that adrenaline boost that normally came from another flight, another thing, another stage. But there was also a big, big, big caffeine dependence. And I had to pull out afternoon caffeine, but also pre-workout. I had switched pre-workouts which was, I I found out, you know, you take a lot of guys in the gym, take this stuff that kind of gets you pumped up to work out. Mine had like nine servings of caffeine or something on it. And I found out the kind I was using also had some other things. And one of the side effects on the website was in some people may cause anxiety. And it was literally like clockwork four or five hours after taking this stuff that that was kicking in. And so it was just for me, one of those things like, ah, I'm making this harder on myself than I need to. So normally after one o'clock, I switch to decaf tea instead That's of That's insane, man. Nine cups of coffee, like nine doses of caffeine in a pre-workout. Something like supplement. that, plus testosterone and whatever else. Years yeah. ago, I used to do Red Bull. And my wife, who's also a pharmacist, she's like, that stuff will kill your heart. So, um, But it would get me racing. Yeah, my therapist said, even if you didn't have anxiety, this would give it to you. So what are you doing? You know, Let's talk about that. That was one of my questions. Um, and I knew that there was stress. I did not, I don't think I remembered that there were panic attacks. So it got pretty deep. I don't, I think I might've had one once. Like if you're not sure, you probably never had one. People with panic attacks are like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. If you think you had one. 
Yes, yeah, like have you ever been hit by have you ever been hit by a bus? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you, you would know. know. Yeah. What happened with that, Levi? Oh geez. Well, you know, for me, anxiety started as a child. I, I would have um what's called night terrors. Oh yeah. Which is basically three in the morning, soaking wet with sweat oh. and terrified. My mom would find me in different parts of the house, you know, just not not there. Like my eyes, like it's like a, a nightmare that you're physically awake for, but not mentally awake from. So you're still walking around the house, but in the dream still. And those were regular and routine for me, um, which I found, long story, in 2020, in all the different therapy I was doing, I found out there were some things that, that it's a form of PTSD, some things I had been through as a child that, cause, that causes that to become a part of really? what you're dealing That's with. That's the theory? Well, it, it's a part, it's a, a theory of uh, an explanation for it, okay. basically. Um, we had been through some things as a family and then even with my, my parents' divorce and just some things that were, were roots of that. Mm. So that low-lying anxiety kind of there, kind of there, kind of there, it continued to, to raise its head anytime. Like when I first started preaching, I would stay awake almost all night the night before, terrified, mm. thinking about the sermon, but in a bad way like ruminating over my fear that my message wasn't good, the terror of getting on stage. Goodness. Then it would culminate in me vomiting backstage almost every time I spoke for the first couple of years. Wow. And then um, I worked through that, you know, just really paralyzing fear. Um, <clears throat> and then, excuse me, when when the pandemic, and I had, it, it actually had gotten better. Huh. I had gotten better at working through it. But then it, in t- March 2020, um, everything changes. You're biologically living. I flew 175 flights in 2019, and then 2020. You know, I, I March 11th, everything comes screeching to a, a halt, and your body's like, "Where's the next hit of that kind of adrenaline?" And now, um, I it's like they say soldiers don't get PTSD at war; they get it at, at home. It was almost like almost like my body now is going to start feeling all of that, and in May, um, my wife breaks her ankle the same day she preaches her first series of that. sermons on yeah. her book, The Fight to Flourish. And that day for me was the beginning. I had said to her, I don't have to preach for the next month because she was going to do a series right. based on her book. That night, lying in bed, I began to sweat everywhere from my hands, like, 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 like profusely, like I was about to run a marathon. And I looked at my wife and I was like, this is weird. I'm my, and then I feel my heart and it's like, I could see it beating. And all of a sudden I just, my, the whole world starts spinning. And it's just like, the, I, I thought I was having a heart attack at first. And I was like, I need you to pray for me right now. And it, it just gets worse and not better. I grab my Bible. I'm trying to my Bible. All the words are spinning and I'm like, I need to take a shower. So I go in the shower and I'm like trying to calm down, but getting more keyed up. And my next door neighbor is a police officer. And I kept thinking, I need to go knock on the door and ask him to put me in handcuffs. Like that was what I, my, my oh. most coherent thought I could think oh. because I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so, I start, if I let myself chill down for a second, I, w- I thought I was going to start pacing or go drive my car off a cliff or just something terrible. And your mind's just going a thousand miles an hour. And um, it was terrifying. I wouldn't wish it on anybody because I felt so completely out of control. Oh my goodness. Levi. Wow. Um, what happened after that? 
Well, um, eventually my wife um, got this app and starts pray- playing this app that's basically like a, um, a bunch of scripture meditations that it reads over you. And eventually I fell asleep a couple hours later. And the next night was the worst because I'm walking up the stairs at bedtime and I'm thinking, is this going to happen again? Like, is, was that a fluke thing? What was that? I don't, I don't know what's going on. And, um, and so then you're like, kind of like, it's like waiting for it to sneak up on you. And it, it, it indeed that, that kind of precipitated it again, you know? So it happened for several nights in a row. I mean, meanwhile, I'm calling my counselor I'm and, and I'm going into my doctor and I'm like, what is it? Like they're doing tests. Like, is this some anomaly? Is it something in my brain and my body? You know, what is going on? And long story short, um, I approached it from every angle. I approached it from the angle of medically and I got a prescription for Xanax so that I could put those fires out if need be. I approached it from the perspective of um, spiritually, you know, what of this component is spiritual warfare. I looked at it, of course, factoring in the fact that the world's gone crazy, you know, and I'm feeling the pressure. There is that. Mm-hmm. And then I also got into um, a lot of counseling to deal with, you know, what what is it from my past I hadn't dealt with? What is it factors that were unhealthy in my schedule in life? But then the biggest thing, Carrie, and this was the, the trippiest part, it actually, my psychologist said, like, this is actually biological. And the biggest breakthrough came from learning to breathe through it. So I would do just simple, very simple breathing exercises, you know, focusing on coherence, which is the the pattern between your heart rate and your breathing. And through a series of body scans and breathing exercises, I was able to actually target the, the biological, you know, autonomic nervous system and bring that down from the heightened state of arousal. And now I, I, I've learned to build my life based on rhythms, mm. you know, sprint seasons, recovery, Sabbath days off. You know, I have another cell phone that can't get text messages and that can't get emails and Instagram. And that, you know, I'll take with me on a ski day or take with me on a fishing day. And no one can call me except for my wife and my assistant and my dad, mm. you know, and it's, it's not like I can sit there obsessing over whatever, you know? Thank you for sharing all of that. You know, it's interesting because that was one of my questions for you. Like, what did you learn about yourself during the pandemic? That's like getting a master's degree in self, I think, during the the pandemic. How under control is it now? Like, Very good. You know, I had a a scare two weeks ago, but I found out I was was sick. Um, I started getting sweaty and I was like, oh no, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. And I, you know, I saw I'm like, I haven't had a panic attack in well over a year and so I was like, this is not good. But then I went in and got a test and I had influenza A. And so I'm like, okay, it's just a fever. Yeah. But I w- it definitely was a scare because I thought it was it was coming on that the all too, you know, feeling of being, feeling really hot kind of as a precursor for it, you know? Well, you know, it's interesting. You said something, it might be the opening chapter or the introduction of the book, but you say you count syllables and sentences, which I thought was really interesting. I'm neurotic, uh, Carrie, for Tell sure. I if I'm lying in bed and I say a sentence, uh-huh. I will count um, how many syllables there are in that sentence. And if it's, that was even, that was 10 syllables. But if it's odd, as a child, I would need to instinctively reframe the sentence so that the amount of syllables could be even instead of odd. And it was just a thing I would do. And I would usually 
say, I would catch myself saying the sentence I had just said again to make sure that it had an even amount of syllables instead of an odd one. And so that's been something like just a weird tick about me, a little yeah. obsessive, compulsive when it comes to words and, and the verbal rhythmic char- characteristic of, of, of sentences, which is a weird thing. But also I, the way I describe it in the book is that's the dark side of my moon, you know? And so let, if I let that go to its weirdest extent, it could become dangerous. But if I allow God to use it in a positive way, that makes me great at forming sticky sentences in books and in sermons. Mm-hmm. So do you, does that still happen in a conversation like this? So I, I don't see how it could, or is I've it more, more like- learned to block it out? And it's, it's, it's um, something that I'm, I'm aware of that. I just, it's like, I, I just am not watching that screen. It's like when you're in Applebee's and you see the TV game, but you want to focus on your daughter. Yeah. You can know that it's there, but not be paying attention to it. So I, I've just learned to block out those kind of, that kind of stimuli. It's funny how we learned a lot about ourselves <clears throat> over the last couple of years, because like you, I don't know, it was 175 flights, but it was 150,000 miles in yeah. 2019. And I think it was at like 42,000 when the world closed. So it was going to be a record year. Yeah, And there was the first month of not panic attacks for me, but just panic, panic, panic. Like, what are you going to do? And then things settled down. And, you know, I wrote a book like you did um, and it came out end of 2021. So I was literally writing the third, fourth, fifth, eighth draft during the pandemic. And I kept learning that I had lower gears because here I had this system that kept me out of burnout for over 15 years that I was sharing with leaders because it's worked in other leaders' life too. And I'm like, oh, I have a lower gear than I thought I did when I wrote the first draft of this. And it kept going. And I think it took about a year for me to go, oh, this is what calm looks like. Like, this is my baseline. This is where I want to gauge my life. And then if I ramp up for a season, I can ramp up. But this should be the resting state I can come back to multiple times in the course of a year. And so that was a real surprise for me. What else did you learn about yourself over the last couple of years? Yeah, Not big, that that yeah, wasn't a big, big enough. A, a lower baseline was important. You know, my, the way my, yeah. my psychologist frames it is your, your state of arousal based on whatever, writing a sermon is a state of arousal, a tough meeting is a state of arousal, anything that's intense that requires you to be fully yourself. So, so coming into this, I have to be somewhat aroused in the sense that right. I'm having to respond. I know I'm asking questions. I'm speaking to a lot of leaders. So that's a, that's, that's a peak. And then um, if, if I'm trying to come down and I have another peak quickly, then I can't come all the way down to my baseline. I'm instead, I'm going to the next one. And so eventually, how it should be is aroused and then low and then big and then low. And then my Sabbath day, you know what I mean? My, my night, night without my phone. But if, if I'm on all the time, if I'm on news all the time, like I was talking to my mom a minute ago, she's like, I want to say goodbye in case the nuclear bombs start falling, Levi, and we can't get on the internet. And I said, mom, can you tell me how many hours you spent on news yesterday? And she said, just seven, just seven. I said, mom. You, you're not designed for that. Your soul can't handle that. You you should know enough to be praying for 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 of course the situation in the Ukraine and 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 let that be informed. It's irresponsible though for you to take in as much stimulation as God takes in, which is what you're trying to do. You know. So again, if you don't come down, then you're starting your next peak from a middle instead of a higher a lower gear, like you said. So and then eventually you get to a point where you're just like you're just like this. 
And then everything starts to flood over. Then everything starts mm. to feel like this is out of control. I'm out of control. I don't have, and you don't have, you cannot sustain that forever. The body does, of course, as the, as they say, keep score. So I think I learned for myself, I was humbled in, in learning that I cannot sustain. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful my, my failure and burnout manifested as panic attacks and not as an affair or as, you know, uh, self-destruction in a different way. I'm, I'm grateful God broke through and I was able to make some pivots and now be at a healthier place. Just in a, and I know we're, neither of us are psychologists, but on a semi-serious question, do you think if this had been uninterrupted, it could have manifested itself in another direction? Because I think about my burnout all those years ago, and it was the first time in my life I went like, oh, when you're feeling like this, this is why you have an affair. This is why you quit your job. This is why you end up with an addiction. And fortunately for me, none of those things happened. It kind of all imploded rather than exploded. Yeah. But, you know, it, it gave me a lot of understanding in that moment. Like, like, do you think sometimes it's those things, like that kind of adrenaline addiction, if you want to call it that, that, that causes people to go in rogue directions? Absolutely. I think mm. um, God is gracious enough to me to have got my attention and I can listen. I, I, I thousand percent. I think sex is very seldom about sex. I think a lot of the things that even in online gambling or a drug addiction, I think those are very often very, very, very often not about the actual thing. They're, they're about something else. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I think that, that brokenness, being ex- aware of it. And, and then also, you know, I'm, I'm turning 40 this year and I think, it's no mistake. It's all, it's all, of course, a, almost a trope that middle age, but it's like this crisis can be a good thing if you learn the right thing and make some changes and then figure out your seasons. What do seasons look like? You know, I read Ronald Rollheiser's book, Sacred Fire, and just figuring out, okay, you have your, your young season, middle season, knowing the season of, of, of legacy and the season of, you know, then learning to give it all away and all the crisis, so to speak, and bad decisions often comes from a failure to diagnose the season you're in and what you should be doing about it. Hmm. Yeah. I think it was Gordon McDonald on this show and I might get the year slightly wrong, but 38 to 42 is that window for a lot of leaders where they go through some kind of crisis and, you know, hopefully that was yours, right? And mine was yeah, let's hope was it's, 41. Let, let's hope. Let's hope it, that, that was the crisis. I got it out of the it's way. Like, Lord, is this as bad as it gets? Like, that's okay, yeah. right? No, thank you. And that that uh, that is super helpful. So moving forward, when you think, and I love that term of baseline. I talked about it a little bit at the end of At Your Best. And I wish I had talked about it more. But that is something I used to find a couple times a year or once a year. And now I want to find it on a weekly yeah, basis. Huge. Like I want to go to that place of, maybe this isn't the right word, but stasis. You know, just you're kind of in this place where you're at peace, you're at rest. And then the work comes out of that rather than adrenaline, adrenaline, dopamine, dopamine, you know, which driven people can yeah, do. And you, you end up turning to Red Bulls, like you said, or turning to other stimulants to, I mean, quite frankly, there's a lot of workaholics who tend, that's why the, the, all of the trope is of the Wall Street guys getting coked up. You know what I mean? They don't have that lower, that lower place to come from. And if you don't have it, you're going to have to manufacture your ability to get up to a high, try to get to a higher level than you actually can even get to. So what do your rhythms look like now moving forward? Yeah. So a couple things, you know, I would say, um, I'm taking less, um, on, uh, I'm 
making my yeses the right ones, you know, hopefully I still get it, get that wrong, of course. Um, but I'm also, um, I used to always, uh, really try and be efficient efficiency. You know, I've, I've said, I say in the book, mm-hmm. I've said to you is kind of a heroine to me. So the idea of, well, I, I pre-recorded this, I did that. I was out there and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to schedule myself out and be off and actually be off. And, 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 um, my psychologist is one of the things he really wanted me to do is schedule the day after a thing to be a recovery day. So yesterday, um, I, I woke up in Houston. I, I preached the night before to a pastor's conference and I normally might've taken the 6 a.m. flight to get home by lunch and then had the work day. And instead I, he, I, you know, I, picked a four o'clock flight and, and had the day with nothing. I, I said, I didn't set an alarm. I woke up when my body woke me up, which it, as it turned out was 7 a.m. I, I went and had my quiet time, got in the hot tub, took a hot tub at the hotel, had f- breakfast with friends and t- literally just that baseline of a come down. Night before, new message, 3000 mm-hmm. liters, right? So it's like the next day, come down day. And I gave myself permission. You know, I brought a couple of staff members. We played Yahtzee in the airport. I bring Yahtzee with me on the pl- planes. I'll play, we'll play cards, deck of cards. Um, my family and I, we have this little ball. It's a bouncy ball. We, I bring it with me at all times. And when we're walking around, we bounce the ball to each other. We'll sit around at the end of the day and bounce the ball back and forth. It's little things like that. That's a $5 ball. Yahtzee costs $19 at Walmart. But the rolling dice and figuring that, those are things to me that are, that are it's the new me. And my family appreciates it. They call me relaxed dad because I used to be more keyed up. And now it's like they joke that I'm relaxed dad. And I'm not always that, but I'm trying for it. And so those are some of the things, other things, you know, taking up fly fishing, taking up uh, renewed uh, interest in tennis. And then I've recently begun um, split boarding, which is uh, you ski up the mountain instead of going up the chairlift. And then you ski, (laughs) you transition at the top and you ski down. That's been a new thing that I've taken up. Good for you. Yeah, you know, so if you don't mind, and if it's too personal, we can move on to other things. But you're you're reminding me we've got a parallel story there, so I'm kind of locked in on it. You talk about being a different kind of dad. My kids are older than yours. I'm older than yours by a bit, older than you. And my kids are 30 and 26 now. And we've talked about getting my 30s back. Like if I could get my 30s back, and I knew then, and I was as I am now back then, I think I would have been a better father. If those irritants showed up at home, how would they have shown up with, you know, ramped up Levi? What what would be a dynamic at home? And how are you hoping to make that different moving forward? Carrie, we planted the church at 24. And uh, I had um, that six years of the initial, the initial base jumping, you know, which is what church planting is like. Yeah. It's, it's, you're jumping out of the airplane. It's the ultimate adrenaline spike, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have an arc organization around us or any kind of church planting um, network. You know, all my friends who were, were older who had planted churches, they had done it back in the 70s and 80s. And so when I would ask them, like, what did you do? They're like, we did a tape ministry. I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work, you know? Like, you know, but we, you know, we, we were just figuring it out. But the, um, the first six years, were our explosive growth and, you know, just got just that, just intensity. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, that was when we had um, our first three or four kids. And then Jenny and I were 30 um, when Linya went home to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And healthy or not, a big part of our grief was, well, for me, I'll say this, was putting my pedal to the absolute floor. Like it was a kind of a way of... um 
the devil did this and we're going to make him pay. And my, which is great. This is wonderful. But it also, it, it, I would say the intensity of pace of ministry, yes to everything. Yes to anything that would be, bring honor to God and, you know, make Linya happy in heaven. And that was kind of my way of coping through this. And part of what created the, the credit card bill for me to pay when I turned 40, you know, preaching, going, right, I, went to, right. I, went, I went to South Africa twice for a weekend, right? <laughs> twice for a weekend. Okay. Let that sink in. That wins some kind of award. Right. Yeah. Or of stupidity, you know. <laughs> So new Levi would have tagged two days on and actually seen South Africa. You know, we, we went through a drive through lion petting on the way to the airport. You know, it was like, what did you see in South Africa? I think I petted a lion out of a window of a car and then I was on the flight again. And I think that, again, that was, it was, well, I'm going to get back. I'm going to preach the next Sunday. You know what I mean? Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because life is short. And then, you know, only what you do in this life rings on into eternity. Great concept, not well lived out. You know what I mean? to get to your sixties with that. And I think, um, I was headed towards probably an early grave at that, at that pace. And I, I think uh, the, 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 um, the hopefully relaxed Levi understands both urgency and recovery are equally important parts of that coin. And Jesus knew that the night is coming when no man can work John nine, but he also knew, Hey, let's get away to a quiet place and rest. What did you say? I want to write that down. You said, uh, Oh, I'm just writing it down and I lost urgency, Both and, urgency recovery. and recovery are equally important. And they're not, it's not one or the other. Cause if you go all recovery, no urgency, that's not good. There is hell. There is a short time to do mm-hmm. our things. So you can't have a lackadaisical sense of like, you know, whatever happens, happens. And God does what he does. No, it's like God wants to let la- the, the laborers are few, get into the field and pull some grain. But then Sabbath is coming, so set your sickle down, you know? Mm. So it's like they're, they feel like it's like God's sovereignty and man's will. They seem like they would cancel each other out, but they don't. They, it's like a, what holds up a suspension bridge yeah. is tension. So one of the things that gets me in this, because it's very easy for me to look back on those first 40 years and go, that was a mistake that God didn't use. And yet he did use it. People came to faith. The church grew. People came to know Jesus. There are things I would do differently, you know, that would probably create less collateral damage um, in relationships, et cetera. Uh, and yet God used it. So I'm, I'm curious, when you look at that through a theological lens, was it that God suddenly showed up now that you've dealt with your issues or he was present through all of it? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about younger leaders who are like, so at 38 to 41, do we just hit the wall and then we become like Levi and Carrie did? Or... Like, what would you say to younger leaders listening who are trying to figure out where God is in the mix of their dysfunction slash passion? What a wonderful mm. question. The interview I did with John Mark Comer once made me laugh because he said, my first 20 years at Bridgetown, it was all all nothing. You know, like I was wrong. My motives were wrong. I wanted to build a mega church. I was all about me. None of that counted. And I, I stopped him right there and said, bro, that is such a um, unintegrate, un- unintegrated way of looking mm. back at yourself. Because back then there were certainly motives that were pure, just like there were motives that were askew. There were certainly days that you'd led badly, but there were also sermons you met, you, you preached because God mm. spoke to you. You know, and my counselor is always saying to me, and it, he, he he received what I was saying. I was saying, you can't just write off all of that period as all bad. Yeah. You know, my counselor showed me that I do 
you know how the people said, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And a week before they were like putting palm branches down going, Hosanna, mm-hmm. Hosanna. He, he showed me that I do the same thing to me, Ooh. right? So the Ooh. people were lauding Jesus as a Messiah. And then when he disappointed their expectations, they, they wanted a, a murderer to be released to them and Jesus be killed. He showed me, I do the same thing to me. So if I'm killing and having a great day, I tend to go, Levi is the best. He preached it so well, right? Now it's very uh-huh. rare I say that, but then I have a bad leadership day. I don't feel like I was a great boss to my staff. I don't feel like I was a great husband to Jenny or dad to my kids, or I am just the worst. And I, and then I tend to go, I am all bad and I'm either all positive or all bad, but here's the truth. If I look at myself as an integrated whole, I know I have strengths and weaknesses. I've got shadow and bright spots. And I go, I, I, I bring all of who I am to everything. And there's going to be days where I let people down, but I can't live or die by their expectations or my own. And so I think as I look back on my twenties and thirties, I smile and I'm not like, what an mm. idiot. I go, you know what? There's a young guy who had a grill call from God, did some things wrong, wouldn't do all that again. And I look back at even my sermon notes. I mean, my sermon notes used to be 5,000 word manuscripts. And you know, now I'm, I'm, you know, it's just different. I, I smile at my young self and I go, you were developing, you were figuring it out. You made some mistakes along the way, but it took you to get to me. It took that to get to here. So to the person in your 20s and 30s, I would say learn from our, our hindsight for sure, but you're going to make some mistakes and that's part of the developmental process of every human being. That's a great answer. And you know what? I'm learning to look back on my younger self and smile because I did the same thing. It was like hero or zero, right? It was binary. And it's not binary. And God was very present in my life. And I mean, if you don't believe that, please read the Old Testament. Like you need you need 20 minutes in the Old Testament to go, these people are... And the New Testament and church history. These yeah. people are disasters and God uses them, yeah. right? And that doesn't... And that's part of the problem of canceling everyone from history, right? It's the assumption that someone has to be all good or it must be all deleted. You know, it's a sense of like with humility to go, these are broken people. Was George Washington a, a contradiction? Mm-hmm. Yes. Was, was there some really incredible things we can learn from? Absolutely. Well, and the other thing too, you know, and I think that's true culturally. I mean, we could go off on that to say, so everybody else in history was wrong and we have it right and we've got it figured out. And this is the definition of what right is. That That's a mistake, but we can do that to ourselves too, it's, right? Yeah. Like I can say, well, now I'm evolved. No now doubt. I'm brilliant and my motives are pure. And the reality is, no, my motives are still mixed. Maybe they're less mixed than they were 20 years ago, but I have good days and bad days and I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm going to look at 57-year-old Carrie 10 years from now and go, what were you thinking? And then 67-year-old Carrie or 77-year-old Carrie will look at 67-year-old Carrie and go, hmm, you still hadn't figured that out yet? I don't know. Yeah. Like, like Jerry Seinfeld was interviewed and he was asked, you know, w- w- about something like that. What do you think of your old material? And he said, everyone's impulse when they hear their old self, you know, you're telling a joke is to go, you're so stupid. I can't believe it. But he said, he said, really, you know, it took that young version of yourself figuring that stuff out to get to where you are today. So he said, he, he said, be kind mm. to your younger self. And what a thought. And that's not being dismissive of faults, but it's also just being patient with who it took for you to get to where you are. Man, I love this conversation. <sighs> Any other learnings, gleanings from the last two years about self-awareness, personal knowledge, spiritual growth? Any of that? Yeah, I mean, what we've been saying—that's just—it's been a—it's been a great journey, been a great journey. And I think 
it, I, I still maintain it is an honor to be entrusted with these complicated times. Yeah. I just, I see pastors and leaders burning out and dropping out. And I just would say, you know, don't throw your hands up because it's hard. Like d- dig in and see that it's so important you do because of how hard it is. And, and this is, uh, it's an honor to be trusted with our time at the watch, you know, cause it's, it's going to come and go like that. So, you know, be, be able to every day work, work hard, lay, lay your head on the pillow, having given it your all and then rest and, and let, let the one who actually holds the world on his shoulders, hold it while you're sleeping and while you're out fly fishing or whatever it is, that's going to you know float your boat. Have you read the book 4,000 weeks by Oliver Berkman? Do you know of that? No, but I will. I'll send great. you a copy. Don't, don't buy it. I'm going to send you a copy. Okay. I'm interviewing him actually tomorrow as we're recording this. I don't know whether it'll air before or after this episode. Really interesting book on time management that's sort of burnt, taking the world by storm right now. And uh, it's very philosophical, almost theological. I have a list of questions I want to ask him, but it feels like you are discovering um, some of the lessons like I had that he talks about in the book. And one of the things he says is, uh, and I want to push him on this because I don't think he's writing from a faith perspective, but you know, oh, the coming apocalypse, the coming apocalypse. And he makes the argument that, well, maybe the apocalypse is here. I mean, the ice caps are melting and nuclear war is a possibility. And, you know, he wrote it before nuclear war. But, you know, to your mother's point, you can watch this stuff and just be absolutely despairing. He has a lot of other great things to say. But on that note, leading into a potential, you know, I think about leaders who led through the Second World War, like the church was active in the First and Second World War, we're now where paradise has been lost, secular paradise has been lost, and we're leading into an uncertain future. When you think about the mission of your church and the mission of the church, how does that change your passion for ministry, approach to ministry? And because you're right, so many people have checked out, you're leaning in. What? Mm-hmm. How do you lead in such an uncertain context, I guess, is my question. Yeah, well, well, I know imperfectly for sure. And on that note of the 4,000 weeks uh, apocalypse, I told one of the things I told my mom to do was read The Vile and the Splendid, you know, on Winston Churchill and specifically the Battle of Britain in, in World War II and just get a reality check. They had bombs dropping on them every day for what, 57 days or something mm-hmm. like that. And Churchill's like giving it us all, all week, but then you know what he did on the weekends? He went to Checkers, his little weekend estate, and he played tennis, you know, and he brunched. And he drank champagne, you know, and it was almost this sense of like, that seems almost manic, but it's not. It's him realizing keep calm and carry on really is the only act of defiance. Mm. If we all freak out, what is that going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus said wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, famine, like, okay, yeah. All right. Check, 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 check. All right, great. So we're on track. Jesus is still in control. None of this caught him off guard from 80, you know, 33. He called this. So here we sit. So what's going to be the coming days? Probably famine, probably disease, probably pestilences. Sick. So preach the gospel to every creature and then, and then, you know, and then, and then have a great meal and eat a quesadilla and, (laughs) you know, go bowling. And what are you going to do by worrying? Can you change one color of your hair? And you might be worried about a nuclear bomb, but you might actually have a heart attack next Thursday. So how do you want your last five days to go? Be found faithful, plant a freaking tree, you know, and quit crying about it. And so my thing is like, like, yeah, let's lean in. This is not a time to ba- abandon. This is not a time to get wobbly knees, like Thatcher said to Reagan, you know, in the Cold War, the original, well, what one iteration of it. Mm. It's not the first time that a James Bond supervillain has been in, in control of, 
you know, an arsenal of, nuclear of weapons. Arsenal. We lived through the Cuban that. Missile, JFK. I mean, so, and I, that's what I've spent the last two years in the 60s. That's where yeah. I've been living with the space race. So to me, I'm like, I don't know, this is a thing, you know, but at the same time, I've got friends who are astronauts who have such warm relationships with Russian cosmonauts, you know, who, who see that the Russian people are suffering too for this. And um, so, yeah, so I'm leaned in and we're, our big thing, Carrie, and I've, I've told you this is our, we're doubling and tripling down on youth. Mm. You know, you I've got a passion. You just came back. Was that if gathering you were at or was it another? No, I did. A, I don't know. I've always done something, but yes, passion. Yeah. We're doing our own youth conference in Montana. We rented a rodeo arena. We're basically pl planning a cross between the passion conference and Yellowstone's like John Dutton and uh, in a, in a, in a, in a motion conference. Yeah. So rodeo arena outdoor in the mountains in August in Montana, youth groups from around the country invited into our, to our state. We're putting on a great uh, morning and evening programming with the Tebos and Carrie Job and you know uh, Crowder and Cody Carnes, and then in the daytime the youth groups can whitewater raft or horseback ride or do anything they want. But we are making 60 acres available for tent camping. I got saved sleeping under the stars at a camp, and I think there's something missing, especially in VR goggle world and TikTok this and hotel rooms. You know, I, I just think there's something about nature, something about getting outside. What do they do with kids on drugs? They send them to Alaska to live in the wild, you know? So I feel like mm -hmm. I really want to see young people uh, experience God and, 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 and come to know Jesus and, and you know, kind of live that Montana life for a week. Do you see a hunger there in the next generation when you interact with them? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I have passion. You see, it was 60,000 college students, you know, surrendering on their knees, worshiping Jesus. Um, actually, matter of fact, funny story, I've never told this. I was on a flight recently and someone who worked for Kanye West was there and they had randomly uh, been at Passion and they were not a Jesus person. But there was one moment where Jenny Allen gave everybody a chance to confess their sins if they wanted to, to each other, like James says. Everyone was told, literally, confess the sin to the person to your right, to your left. And uh, I was sitting with some friends. I invited the passion. I confessed a sin, reciprocated, and we were all doing that, like the Bible says. And it was unbelievable because there's this big window at the Mercedes-Benz Arena. And at that moment, the light started shining in. The sun lined up with the window, and a beam of light started filling the arena up. And this woman... She says she 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 she's some high up in the organization working for Kanye. She said she she's never experienced anything quite like that, and it really shook her to experience that. And she said it opened a door for a conversation. So we're you know we're, we're going back and forth a little bit just about Jesus and just what that impact felt like to her to see young people taking their faith seriously. You know, it, to me, I just see that's the play, that's the move. It's the next generation. I love how you're advancing into that, not just hoping they're all going to show up at your doorstep. Okay, yeah, I'm giving it. I'm giving it a mile, Carrie. Right, and that's and that's the season. You you think legacy. I'm 40. Who? My question I ask myself every day: Who's going to reach Lennox's grandkids, and what can I do now to set that person up for success? It's a great question to ask at 39. <clears throat> well done. You've got a brand new book, Last Supper on the Moon. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, it is thick. This is this is not like oh here's a sermon series I converted into a book. You did a ton of research into this, and uh, a lot of things I didn't know. For example, there really was a Last Supper on the Moon. Do you want to talk about that for a moment? Yeah, well, there was actually two. You know, there was a Last Supper on the Moon because Apollo seventeen they literally ate dinner at the end of their three day long mission, and they did eat their Last Supper. But 
the first supper on the moon was communion mm. because Buzz Aldrin got permission to secretly bring bread and wine. And he, in uh, July of 1969, um, read from Psalm 8 and John 15 and then had a communion service on the lunar surface. And that was the first, I can, I can tell you, like there's been nothing eaten on the moon ever that we know of until that was eaten. So in all of human history, bread and wine to honor Jesus was the inaugural eating that took place on the lunar surface. So that's just stupid how cool that is. That is really cool. So you are a space nerd, self-confessed, sure. and a NASA nerd and all of that. You almost wrote like a history of the lunar landing. And tell me a little bit about your research um, process, your your passion for this. This wasn't just, oh, I'll do a bit of research for a book. This has been something that you've been passionate about for a while. I'd love to know about that. Well, it's kind of interesting. Um, it's it's That's a complicated answer, but the the metaphor to me I, I I'm always looking for metaphor metaphor I, I crave because simile and metaphor is all we have to take an unchanging gospel and bring it to a changing culture in in a relevant way that's why Jesus talked about sons that got lost from farms and birds and and grapes and 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 tares and wheat because he was speaking to an agricultural society so contextualization is key right you're trying to basically it's kind of like the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like so to me as a communicator i preach like you do every easter and jesus still gets out of the grave nothing changes so really you could preach the same sermon every every easter but the only thing that's going to change is going to be metaphor and story and simile and so uh, how do you convey uh, the power of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said it's like wind, it's like fire. And about uh, seven or eight years ago, I began to realize that uh, the words a controlled burn are are a good metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Controlled mm. burn. If it's not controlled, it's an explosion. If it's if it's not a burn, then there's no power. <laughs> so a bomb going off that's controlled is what? A rocket launch. So I began to communicate the Holy Spirit like a rocket and or like firefighting where they've do fires to prevent fires. Mm -hmm. And it's called a backburn. So that began for me a series of researching. I read Tom Wolfe's The Right Stuff, and I fell in love with the early days of NASA, the Mercury 7, and uh, all of that. It's just in insane. And I think the greatest thing mankind's ever done by a long shot is going to the moon. Mm. And that's saying a lot, considering the same year we went to the moon for the first time, 1968, was the same year that mankind did a heart transplant for the first time. But to go 250,000 miles away to another heavenly body and bring people there with 60s-era technology, which was at a time when we didn't even have wheels on our suitcases yet, mm -hmm. is astounding. And what a great metaphor for the greatest thing that's ever been done, which is not leaving this world, but Jesus coming to this world. So when I found out about the communion service, it just, the fire was lit in me to utilize that 10-year saga, 12-year-long saga from Alan Shepard's first flight to the first moon landing as a metaphor to unpack uh, the crucifixion, the ascension, the sending of the spirit. And that's really what I was trying to accomplish in this book. Wow. It's a, it's a fabulous work and you weave through, um, yeah, seamlessly in, in Last Supper on the Moon. I'd love to know, you probably get emails from people who are conspiracy theorists and say, but Levi, the moon landing never happened. Sure. A question that you just roll your eyes at, or what do you say to folks like that? Well, and I ask it not because I'm no, curious as much about the no. moon. There's a ton of conspiracy theories, and they are having a heyday these sure. days. Sure, a lot of it is in, in no um, 
small way connected, no doubt, to the amount of uh, recreational marijuana that is uh, is growing from coast to coast, I would assume. Yeah, it's interesting, Carrie. I, I do get that a lot, a lot, a lot. And the comments and and very bizarre things about the flat earth and the moon's not real. And I addressed that in the book and as a way to say, what, what do we do with the skepticism surrounding NASA, but also the skepticism surrounding Jesus? And I think that's an interesting parallel too, because there are plenty of people who would say, well, how do we know Jesus is who he says he is? And how do we know he rose? And so I try and really kind of give a case for both of those, you know, for, for, for one thing, the amount of work it would take to fake the moon landing, you know, considering that by the time we actually were launching Saturn V rockets, the most powerful rocket that man's ever built that has been launched up until whenever the SLS launch uh, takes place with the Falcon Heavy, which hasn't happened yet. Um, it, it would, it was a, an entire train car worth of paperwork every single time to fill an entire train box car with the amount of paperwork it took to launch one of those. So just the amount of work it would have, that would have gone into faking it would take more than to believe it actually happened. Uh, and, um, but a big part of it was the fact that they fuel, they, they filmed simulations for the lunar landings on sound stages uh, so that if the TV interruption ever took place, which it did, Apollo 12, for example, one of the astronauts accidentally pointed the camera at the sun and it burnt out the optical component. So they had no way to show any video. So they were only playing audio on TV. So what they did was they showed all a lot of the archival footage, which was astronauts with strings and all that. And that is one of, that was the origin story of the, of the, of the, you know, conspiracy theories, that footage being out there. Um, it's, but it's so funny to me. And I, I, I think if you've ever been up in an airplane, I mean, you could see it's not a flat earth, you know? And I think, Oh you, yeah. You don't have to go very far to see that it's round. Yeah. And I've been to Australia. I've been to New Zealand. Uh, yeah, there's a curvature of the earth there and for sure. I've got a friend who's been to space three times, you know, he lived on the space station for six months at a time. And I, I love to ask him about it. It's 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 very amusing. That's a pretty elaborate lie, I guess, if he keeps doing that every few years, going up on the space station. And we have <laughs> lunar rocks. They brought back a lot of rocks from space. It's it's. Uh-huh. I've seen Neil Armstrong's suit. And what does anybody stand to gain from having faked it? Is is I guess the real question. If you've been to the Smithsonian, the eagle, like the actual eagle that landed, is there, and it's so small. Well, the eagle is still on the moon. Uh, oh, it is okay. the lunar well, the legs the, the legs of it. Uh, the actual the sent vehicle that left from the moon crashed yeah. back into the moon because it wasn't strong enough to break free from the moon gravity. They returned home in Columbia, which is the command module because it was three ships that turned into and all came together as one: CM, SCS, the SM, and then the the LM. So, do you know what's at the Smithsonian then? Yes, the the um, the Columbia, which is the part that okay. splashed down in the ocean. Yeah, that's right. Okay. My my bad, but I remember seeing that with my boys when they were younger, and I'm like, boy, that thing's small. Yeah, it's 12 feet in diameter by 11 feet height, and three people lived in it for eight days. I know, I know. I'm yeah. like, you haven't got a lot of move. It's like a camping tent. Now think basically. about it. That's bowel movements. That's that's everything. And you know, they even have to figure out on the space station haircuts. You know, think about yeah. this. How how do they do CPR on the space station? Because if someone needs CPR, you have to do chest compressions on a floating body while you're floating. So they would have to Velcro them down to a table and you would leverage your feet against the ceiling. There's no up in space. The ceiling becomes the floor, right? So you have four floors. 
and then you have to leverage enough to get you know the trust. It's just crazy to think about microgravity and what you have to factor in. Levi, I, I wish we had more time today. You've been generous with it. Um, I hope that keep, gave people enough of a taste to want to dive in. But thank you for being so open, so vulnerable. I hardly got to any of my sure. scripted questions. That's always the best interview. Well, I do get into the panic attacks in here too. And I think Jesus was having a panic attack in the Garden of Gethsemane. So I think there's language and and help for us who face these sorts of things in, in our lives. Awesome. So people can find the book anywhere. It's doing really well. And where are you hanging out? Hopefully not at Goodwill yet. <laughs> not at Goodwill. And uh, what? where are you hanging out online these days? You got podcasts. Ooh. Um, well, not Wordle. Are you on that train? You know what? I just did my first Wordle three months after the rest of the world. And uh, I must say, I kind of get it now, but I'm only three I'm in. so resistant to any trend I like that. And I, I think that's totally. some part of my and nature. My son and yeah. his girlfriend came and they're like, what? And I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And of course, I almost blew the first one, but I'm at four in the middle of March. Yeah. So what do I know? I got you. Uh, so yeah, not so online. Don't look for you there. You know, I turn on my screen restrictions. I stay off, but I'm on Instagram if I'm on anything. And then, of course, YouTube and all the things. Okay. So our, we have a Hates Lost Goes podcast, which we do every week. Levi, thank you so much. You're a gift to so many of us. Thanks, Carrie. You're a legend. Man, that was good for my soul. And I hope it was good for your soul. And if this episode really helped you, I would love for you to leave a rating and review. And please share it. Share it on social text it to a friend, whatever you need to do. And wherever you listen to your podcast, if a friend texted it to you, you can subscribe because we got a lot of great stuff coming up. And Voskamp is on the next episode. We'll cut to that in a minute. But we've also got Oliver Berkman from 4,000 Weeks, Dave Ramsey, Sean and Nequest, Andy Stanley. Uh, who else have we got? Ramit Sethi just booked him. And uh, Susan Kane, a whole lot of other leaders. But here's an excerpt from the next episode. Do women... Um... We come to the page with a deeper vulnerability. Yes. And a deeper sense of self-deprecation. That that is our street cred. Our credibility is our vulnerability. Mm. In ways that men get to come to the page and their credibility is their authority. Yes. Thank you for saying It's hard to say that out loud, but I've thought a lot about this, Carrie. As I wrote 1,000 Gifts, Broken Way, Waymaker, there are, I want to be very clear. I don't regret the vulnerability I've brought to pages. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, why do women have to bring so much vulnerability to the page in a way that men don't? And I also wonder, there are things that a man could say on a page that would be accepted theologically, that if a woman says on a page the pushback will be significant. So that's a conversation I had with Ann Voskamp and a powerful in-person conversation that we are going to be having uh, with you next time on the podcast. And uh, we want to thank our partners. Creativo is a brand new app that can help you manage your social media and your website in minutes a week or a day. You can receive a lifetime founder's discount. Just go to creativo.org slash carry. That's C-R-E-A-T-I-V-O dot org slash C-A-R-E-Y. And Remodel Health would like to save you money and give your employees better health care. Why not understand how? Go to remodelhealth.com slash webinar. You can sign up for free today and start saving tomorrow. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, we have a lot more going on on the interwebs. And the latest venture is we've got something called the Art of Leadership Academy. 
And uh, we are opening it for another week at an intro rate. So because you listen to this podcast, if you want to get in on the Art of Leadership Academy, first of all, before I tell you how much it is and what's involved, let me tell you what it is. So for the last few years, one of the things I've done is I've um, offered courses and that's premium content. And we have run over 15,000 leaders through my paid courses. Uh, They have less than 1% return rate. In other words, we offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. Less than 1% of people ever want their money back. That's my best content anywhere. And prior to launching the Academy, you had to buy the courses one at a time. Well, for one price, you now get all of my courses, including my brand new course, The Art of Online Influence. Now, it's not just courses. When we started designing this, we said, okay, we'll give everyone you know, all the courses for one price. But here's, here's what's really cool. It's all my courses, but we added community. So uh, we are a few weeks into the launch of the Art of Leadership Academy. And if you're tired of the drivel that you see online and you're lonely and would like to talk to a colleague that can actually help you, encourage you, move the needle in your organization, that's your business or your church, that's what's happening in the Art of Leadership Academy. So it's a website, it's an app, you can access it via your phone. You'll be connected with hundreds of other leaders and then top thought leaders. I've recruited an arsenal of great leaders that I respect, and they're leading the dialogue every day. So you get to talk to people like Derwin Gray, Frank Beeler, Jeff Henderson is in uh, the Art of Leadership Academy leading conversations. My friend Mark Clark, Katie Cole, who else have we got? Oh my goodness, we have so many people inside the Academy. Jenny Catron is there, uh, Kevin Jennings, Alejandro Reyes. I mean, it's unbelievable. There's literally dozens of thought leaders in the academy. And uh, you get all my courses, you get community. I do some live coaching every month and I'll bring in some pretty spectacular faculty in the future. And uh, what else have I got? Well, we also do monthly staff training done for your team. A lot of you want to train your team. That is actually included. We've got a library of over 25, 15 minute staff trainings that you can just press and play, or we'll give you the notes and you can do the teaching and look like the hero. So it's up to you. All of that is in the Art of Leadership Academy. How much does it cost? Well, for 2022, your annual membership is reduced to $297. It's not a typo. That's not a misspeak. $297. Regular price is $397 for this year. You're going to get it for $297. All of that if you use the code INTROPRICING over at theartofleadershipacademy.com. That offer is only good for a week if you're listening live to this podcast when it releases. So uh, yeah, the price goes up April 1st, but if you want to get in on it, use the coupon code INTROPRICING, tell them I sent you, and go to theartofleadershipacademy.com. I'd love to welcome you in there. We are building a killer community, and I would love for you to be a part of that, whatever you do in business or in the church world. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope our time together today has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.